Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. My name is uh, David Orban, and I am very glad to have uh, all of you here on the show. Uh, the uh, show is airing live on uh, Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and Twitch, uh, groups and pages. And uh, of course, you can share it uh, with your friends, as well as uh, you can comment. And I will be able to uh, look at and display your comments and questions uh, as uh, we go about uh, uh, our theme today. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, you are very welcome to subscribe to the channel, to like my Facebook page, and to do all those things, uh, including um, subscribing to my uh, Patreon page on patreon.com slash David Orban that uh, allows you uh, to reward me and my team uh, for the hard work uh, that we put in uh, creating this as well as all the other content uh, that I that I very happily uh, put out. And uh, this uh, reward is an opportunity to get in touch Patreon subscribers get uh, exclusive content, all kinds of perks, and establish the kind of uh, more direct relationship uh, that uh, we all need and, and, and we all like. Uh, today's guest uh, is uh, Lorenzo uh, Vallecchi. Uh, Lorenzo is an expert of uh, renewable energies and uh, of Bitcoin, and he uh, recently published a, a, an article, uh, an essay, um, uh, almost a book, uh, given how long it is, uh, on uh, Medium entitled Bitcoin and the Energy in the Next 50 Years. And I have to tell you, when I read the first uh, sentence, I said, okay, I must invite uh, Lorenzo on Searching for the Question Live because it very, very strongly resonated with me let me read it to you. With the petrodollar fading, Bitcoin and renewable energy can integrate in an internet of networks, a new, more resilient, functionally unified energy monetary system. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, here we are with uh, Lorenzo. Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, before we go into the substance of our conversation today, um, I always like to ask my guests to tell uh, a little bit about uh, themselves, um, their path, their trajectory. Um, so, first of all, uh, where are you uh, physically today and, and how are things going with the pandemic? I'm in Rome right now. I live in Rome, so that's where I am based and where I have been, uh, you know, more or less locked in for the last uh, year and a half, like, you know, more or less, or year and a bit, more or less like anybody else in their place of residence. So that's where I am. And, you know, actually, we're not, uh, you know, here in Rome, in the Lazio region where Rome is, actually, things are not as bad as in other regions here in Italy. Uh, but, of course, you know, we're still not out of this, uh, out of this situation yet, not out of the woods. Have you had any notice of uh, when you would be vaccinated? 
No, no idea. No idea. My mother, she's 88. She's going to be vaccinated next week. So I figure, you know, before they arrive to people uh, my age, our age, it's going to be probably a few months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and um, ha have you adapted easily uh, or or uh, were you traveling uh, a lot before uh, in, in 2019, let's say? Not that much, actually. Uh, I was uh, working, um, I was traveling a bit, but not, I can't say I was traveling a lot. So actually the transition was not that hard for me, you know, and uh, as a journalist was right now and a consultant, which is what I, you know, what I do, uh, you can meet with people, you know, more or less anytime, anywhere, virtually like we're doing now, right? So in that sense, we're privileged and we're lucky compared to a lot of other people. So. And 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 a lot of uh, the the people who you would want to talk to may have said oh well why don't you come let's have a coffee and then we can talk about it and sometimes that was a pleasure oftentimes it was more like a chore uh, and now you can tell them uh, let's have a zoom call and everyone understands uh, even those who were reluctant in embracing the digital tools they are now proficient so that is uh, certainly a very positive evolution. Right. I can't, I mean, I've, I've never been as productive as, as I've been in this last, you know, period, I can I think, you know, I mean, as bad as it is in many different ways, in terms of uh, the line of work, you know, that, that uh, we're in, in terms of being able to um, talk with people and bounce ideas off each other, you know, it's nice to see each other in person, but still we can do a lot. And there's, as you say, a lot of time wasted, quote unquote time in traveling has been obviously eliminated. So you take the good and, you know, and the bad. Um, so in your background, as far mm -hmm. as you know, I was able to see through uh, your writing, uh, there are different threads. And, and, and one of them is around renewable energy, photovoltaics, especially. Yeah. Uh, how did you um, come to that? Well, uh, that was like, a, it's, it's been, um, I was a journalist. I worked for Bloomberg for a number of years. So I was doing, you know, financial, you know, business type of stuff as a journalist. And then I, I, I decided to change and I opened with a partner, uh, a renewable energy company. So um, took a bunch of courses. And I was, of course, I was working more on the on the um, marketing side, communication side, development side of the business, not so much on the technical side, because obviously, you know, you need engineers for that. Uh, but, you know, I did take a bunch of courses. So I also became, you know, reasonably proficient technically. And uh, I've worked um, in the renewable energy as an entrepreneur, um, installing systems, uh, consulting for about 10 years. And um, right now, for the last couple of years, I've been uh, going back to my old uh, line of work, uh, combining journalism and consulting with renewable energy. So uh, I put together those two kinds of expertise, and I now write about renewable energy, and I, uh, I'm a bit of an analyst uh, in the renewable energy field, and I do consulting in the re renewable energy field, where, of course, I use a lot of my journalist skills uh, to, to help communicate what I'm trying to to communicate. And um, how did you discover, uh, and, and do you remember when did you discover Bitcoin? Kind of, it is related to uh, to renewable energy in the sense that uh, in, I, I, I was, uh, I had a couple of projects in, uh, at the end of 2016 for, yeah, 2016, I was um, 
working in Egypt, we were uh, we had already done a project and we were embarking on a you know much larger project for us. We were, you know, we were a small a small company. We were embarking on this project, uh, which it had to do with renewable uh, with uh, sorry with biogas biogas for this uh, for this company that was producing. Um, um, it was a, a food processing company, basically using a lot of agricultural products, uh, and they had a lot of biomass that they wanted to use to produce uh, biogas with it. And we were, you know, working with them, and uh, pretty much fairly suddenly for us, at the end of 2016, the Egyptian central bank um, decided to let the Egyptian pound float freely, more or less, meaning they devalued the currency. So more or less from one day to the, ne to the next, the value of the Egyptian pound collapsed. And within a month uh, or less than a month, uh, the Egyptian pound was worth 100%. Uh, was actually, the, basically, it had lost. It had, the value of the Egyptian pound was cut in half, let's put it this way, against the dollar. So, of course, uh, the client we're working with uh, could not you know, uh, go ahead anymore because their, their revenues... Uh, were in pounds, in Egyptian pounds, and uh, they could not afford what they were trying to do anymore. So that was uh, what happened in that instance. And then almost at the same time, again, towards the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, of course, uh, Donald Trump was elected. And um, one of the first, uh, I think, executive actions he took was to get the United, Sta United States out of the nuclear treaty with Iran. And at the time, I was also working, in this case, as a consultant uh, for, um, for a group of companies. And uh, we won a tender in Iran to provide, um, to provide um, this, uh, a power line technology, so-called, to monitor CO2 emissions. So we were using the existent, existing uh, light infrastructure uh, of Tehran to uh, install these mo this, uh, this, uh, this monitors to um, monitor CO2 emissions because Tehran is incredibly polluted city. It's a quite polluted city. So um, that was the other project I was involved at the time. And basically, all of a sudden, uh, with the U.S. pulling out of the nuclear accord with Iran, uh, nobody, you know, uh, wanted to or could, you know, touch Iran in terms of sending money to Iran, in terms of commercial relationships with Iran, in terms of uh, financial relationships with Iran. So those two projects that were fairly uh, important for us suddenly collapsed. Now, because of you know macroeconomic uh, and political reasons. At the time, I was not uh, particularly aware of Bitcoin in the sense that I had heard the name, but I didn't really know what it was. But uh, after these two events, um, as I came across articles about Bitcoin, things started to resonate with, you know, with my own personal experience in terms of what it meant uh, to, to have my work life, my business life impacted by those kind of uh, decisions, you know, uh, devaluation of, uh, of a currency and uh, a political leader deciding that uh, you could not, you know, use the dollar pretty much or the existing financial infrastructure to, uh, to do work, even if that work was, you know, good work in terms of trying to reduce pollution in a very polluted city. So those two events kind of impacted me personally. And as I came across Bitcoin, I'm naturally curious. So at a certain point and, you know, around uh, 2017, 
I started reading about it. I can't remember the exact moment, but you know, I, I remember getting more and more into Bitcoin, and uh, and that's how it started. You know, it, it, it resonated because of those two personal events. Let's put it this way. So, and it then is, you know, and 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 yeah, Bitcoin then is a is a rabbit hole. Uh, once uh, you discover it, you just keep falling, keep falling, and and there is uh, uh, seldom. Uh, a, a bottom in sight there is always yeah. more yeah. To, to to naturally discover yeah. so uh without pretending to be able to um you know uh define either precisely in a, in a technical uh sense or completely uh in in all their facets but let's uh, summarize some aspects of uh bitcoin as uh, they regard the, the the two maybe fundamental um, components that you that you highlighted, uh, and uh, just so that people can uh, find it easily, here is uh, your uh, medium um, uh, homepage, and uh, and the article uh, can be found on on that link for our viewers. So, mm -hmm. um, let's talk about Bitcoin first. Uh, as uh, a store of uh, value, uh, mm -hmm. it it started a uh, uh, little more than ten years ago, eleven years ago, and um, at the beginning, of course, uh, it was just an experiment for geeks, uh, and uh, it uh, really uh, could have amounted to nothing, um, uh, even though uh, there were people very passionate about it, even even back then. But little by little, through a surprising um, resilience that uh, allowed Bitcoin to recover from fairly uh, damaging instances of, uh, of uh, superstructure collapse, which is important, in my opinion, to, to identify as, as not the collapse of the network of Bitcoin itself, which has never failed, uh, in, in more than 10 years, but um, eventual um, um, pieces uh, of software, for example, MTGOX, uh, one of the first exchanges that were themselves either vulnerable or fraudulent or just not able to, to proceed. So Bitcoin kept going to the point where uh, today is worth more than 40,000 euro, $50,000. Uh, the Bitcoin uh, network itself is worth more than a trillion dollars. What does that mean? What uh, uh, can people who are more accustomed to uh, looking at traditional money uh, understand of, of the 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 the, the the surprising resilience and staying power of bitcoin and the fact that that people are starting to take it seriously well i guess one of the most important if not the most important uh features of bitcoin is that uh, it does not rely on a central entity uh, so it's uh by definition one of this you know one of its main features is that it's a decentralized system so there's nobody controlling it and uh, it works by consensus. So there are a multitude of, uh, of people in the network, of nodes in the network that uh, um, basically 
have to uh, collaborate to um, to decide what the state of uh, the ledger, uh, which is what uh, you know Bitcoin in a sense is, uh, what the state of the ledger is. So it's a distributed ledger, meaning uh, a ledger where you uh, record transactions. So uh, you know people that uh, exchange uh, money through the network and uh, the network uh, records all these transactions and nobody's in control of uh, the transaction in terms of uh, allowing the transaction, in terms of uh, deciding uh, who can transact uh, Bitcoin and the network as Bitcoin as a network is a permissionless network. So anybody can participate, nobody control, controls it. And uh, there's a, a system whereby uh, everybody has to reach consensus on what the state of the network is. And uh, that consensus is reached uh, through uh, a process whereby energy is used and whereby you have to demonstrate that you have used a certain amount of energy to, uh, to, uh, to create one of the blocks where Bitcoin and the transactions are, are recorded. And uh, the fact that it's distributed and the fact that uh, nobody controls it and there are no middlemen around uh, or through it or in the middle of it uh, deciding who can do what, when, uh, makes it uh, radically different from traditional financial systems where you always have uh, middlemen uh, between people transacting with each other. Uh, so the only there, way There is no CEO of Bitcoin uh, deciding how many Bitcoin... Uh, should be uh, uh, issued uh, in a given month or, or or quarter. There is no quantitative easing in the world of Bitcoin, uh, where you can uh, decide to stimulate uh, the economy by uh, putting in uh, trillions of uh, additional units uh, uh, of account, like it is happening uh, with the dollar and the euro uh, these days. So mm -hmm. over the course of many years, obviously, people have been able to buy and sell Bitcoin. And it is this buying and selling that defines what the exchange rate is at any moment and whether it goes up or down. And there are those who are uh, uh, who, who love uh, reading the tea leaves uh, of um, some kind of, in my opinion, superstitious uh, um, uh, analysis, and they call it technical analysis to give it a uh, uh, a scientifically sounding name. In in some respect, it is also a self-fulfilling prophecy because, of course, if enough people are uh, reading the tea leaves in the same way, then they will arrive to the same conclusions and potentially they will uh, all together buy or all together sell uh, Bitcoin and, and uh, the exchange rate will go up or down correspondingly. But these are uh, short-term effects. Uh, what is causing the the um, average over the course of, of two, three, four, five, six years for Bitcoin to have go, gone, uh, you know, from one uh, uh, Bitcoin being one dollar to today one Bitcoin being fifty thousand uh, dollars? That that uh, wasn't caused by any single decision to buy and sell and 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 yes people may um understand that it is a very different system from 
the system of fiat currency and central bank controlled currency. But is it the case that they are concluding that indeed it is a superior system? Uh, yes, I think Bitcoin has proven itself uh, to be um, different things for different people at different times. Uh, Bitcoin has different value propositions uh, and uh, not all of them will necessarily uh, realize themselves uh, at the same time. Uh, it started uh, as a, as a um, cash, uh, peerless cash payment system, basically. So uh, the equivalent of cash, uh, but in, a, in, a, in an electronic kind of way, electronic cash. That was the initial uh, definition. Although, you know, in, in, in the white paper that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto wrote, uh, which started this whole thing, um, there were other uh, uses uh, that were talked about. And one of them uh, was also, I mean, the other, you know, uh, writings that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto did, there were other um, uses and functions that uh, Bitcoin could uh, could play. And one of them is store of value. So uh, the, the store of value function is the one that uh, over the last few years has become the, the, the main reason for people to buy Bitcoin because uh, it's, it's been defined as digital gold. And... Uh, and the reason why it has uh, increased in value for you know um, since pretty much the day it was created is that it has demonstrated in a market environment so not a, on a theoretical basis but you know with people exchanging uh, this uh, this asset with people transacting buying and selling and also starting to buy and sell services uh, with bitcoin although that is still um, a minority of uh, of uh, of the use that uh, people do of Bitcoin, but by you know transacting with Bitcoin and buying Bitcoin as, as a store of value in a market environment, people basically decided that this asset, this instrument, had uh, an intrinsic value for them, and the intrinsic the intrinsic value for them uh, was based on the fact that uh, it's uh, again a permissionless currency something that is extremely difficult and hard to confiscate, meaning it's very hard to, to come, you know, I can come and, uh, or anybody, you know, like an authority can, can come and confiscate your money or your gold, but it, it's very hard to confiscate your Bitcoin because basically it's, uh, uh, it's a bunch of uh, numbers uh, or it's actually a bunch of words, a seed phrase that one can memorize and that will unlock uh you know basically the the vault where the bitcoin are virtually stored so to speak uh and uh you know unless you're tortured and uh, there's no way that anybody can extract the information from you um so uh, that, is, that is exactly what i am uh sharing uh, right now um some of our viewers uh, uh, also maybe um uh, maybe uh, fans of uh, XKCD, a wonderful internet comic. And uh, you see here that uh, a crypto nerd is happy that the encryption on his laptop is so strong and, and no one will be able to uh, decrypt it. And in the second um, uh, part, uh, what really happens is that there is a $5 wrench 
to beat the nerd in the head until he gives up the password. So <laughs> we, we have to be somewhat careful yes, uh, yes. on, on uh, what what actually the the balance uh, uh, in uh, uh, attacker and and, and defender yeah. in, in security is. Yes, yes, but on, yeah. You know, you're right. On on the grand scale of things, though, it's 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 hard to to confiscate. It's hard to censor. You know, uh, um, again, because no single entity or person or institution has control on the network, and uh, the network remains. Uh, you know, uh, the, the only at this point market where anybody can participate freely uh, without. Uh, Constraints. That doesn't mean that the market is not regulated because there are a lot of regulations right now uh, that. Uh, well, that uh, if I may, it is not Bitcoin that gets regulated because those uh, nation states that uh, pretend to pass regulations on Bitcoin, uh, what they achieve as the end result is weakening their own ability to enforce any law because they are teaching people that they are powerless because the regulations on bitcoin by itself are hard to impossible to enforce the yes. regulations that you mentioned are at the interfaces so for yes. example if i want to use my credit card to buy bitcoin uh, uh, i must uh, identify myself on the exchange uh, with an id uh, or or uh, other means, uh, a passport, a proof of residence, and so on. Similarly to how uh, a bank needs to identify me when I open a bank account. And this is what is called uh, the Know Your Customer, KYC uh, regulation. Um, so uh, the, uh, the, the nation states um, exercise their control uh, when you want to get out, uh, when you want to get into the Bitcoin network, and then once again, when you get out, uh, because um, the um, uh, most most of the nations uh, today uh, treat Bitcoin uh, as an asset, uh, and as a consequence, when you exchange Bitcoin for fiat money um, in in the future, you must account for gains or the losses that you have had and if you end up uh, having had a had a gain in in the transaction you must pay um capital gains taxes um in in your place of residence or wherever you you pay taxes and so back to the original question all these features of being permissionless of being uh, uh, decentralized of uh, being uh, finite which is maybe one feature that we didn't mention over the course uh, uh, of uh, the next hundred years a little more uh, asymptotically uh, bitcoin is uh, trending to the maximum number that the algorithm is going to issue uh, and uh, as a consequence contrary to the actions of central bankers uh, it is impossible to inflate away the value of bitcoin as it uh, is a finite number. And then, uh, as we said, it is uncensorable uh, and um, extremely um, easy to, to, to transport. Uh, there are hundreds of millions of uh, refugees uh, in the world uh, today, and uh, uh, their first preoccupation 
uh, is not Bitcoin for sure, but uh, uh, if and when Bitcoin becomes uh, universal, uh, any of us will be able to travel when we want to or against our will, but still uh, move around in the world uh, with our wealth attached to, to Bitcoin. So all of these things seem to have led um, to a consensus in the people using uh, Bitcoin and making decisions around Bitcoin every day that indeed it is a more trustworthy uh, store of value than not gold, for example, or let alone stacks of banknotes or, or bank deposits that, uh, that a lot of people understand are, are not able to store uh, their value, but their value constantly decreases with, with inflation. So, so this was, this, this is the first part of, of your, uh, of your article, uh, again on, on medium. Uh, which is around um, how uh, Bitcoin uh, is um, worthy of, of our attention uh, because uh, it can um, be an ever-increasingly attractive uh, store of value if compared to um, traditional currencies like the euro and the dollar. Now, uh, before going in the energy part, but already connected with the energy part of Bitcoin mining and what it means, and 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 then uh, to the the conclusion of your of your article as well, why is the petrodollar fading? Is it first? Is the petrodollar fading? Sorry, even one step back. What is the petrodollar? Is it fading? And why is it fading? Well, those are uh, big questions, but um, in, in, in uh, trying to summarize, um, money used to be uh, backed by gold. Uh, so, you know, if you had a banknote, you could go back at a certain point in time in history back to your bank and, uh, and give the note back and, and uh, withdraw uh, gold in return. Now, that gold, so-called gold standard, has uh, over time, over, you know, uh, around whatever, 50 years, finally uh, come to an end around in, in 1971, actually, where the, uh, where the gold standard was officially terminated, meaning that uh, not only individuals, but uh, central banks from other countries could not uh, redeem uh, their banknotes uh, for gold. Uh, gold, which uh, for the most part, uh, after the Second World War was stored still is in part in the United States. So the, the redeemability of gold has ended in 1971. So the gold standard has completely finished. And after that, um, there was uh, a new system uh, called fiat system where, you know, the money uh, was worth something because the government said so. Uh, that's what fiat means. And, um, and in that respect though, um, you know, money has been traditionally been backed by something for centuries. So it was uh, difficult all of a sudden to, to tell people uh, that uh, their money, their banknotes were not backed by anything at all. So after the, the, the gold standard ended in 1971, um, there was an agreement basically whereby uh, the United States, 
convinced uh, Saudi Arabia and the Arab countries to only price uh, oil in dollars, in U.S. dollars. And uh, because oil is such a pervasive, uh, was such a pervasive and, and still is in part um, commodity because it enters every single uh, phase of production because it's at the base pretty much of uh, uh, of all economic activities, if not oil itself, but, you know, uh, derivatives of oil or, or oil and gas. So because it was so pervasive and, and, and central to the economy, uh, oil became uh, not only a major uh, productive input for the economy, but also surrogate for gold in a sense, in terms of uh, somewhat being um, providing somehow some kind of backing to dollars because gold, because um, oil was only payable in dollars, uh, dollars was some, you know, was uh, perceived as being backed by oil. And that's why we call that system petrodollars. And, uh, and uh, this is a this is a global uh, system to the point where even at the time the Soviet Union, if they wanted to buy or sell oil, they wouldn't use rubles. Uh, exactly. uh, they would use uh, dollars. Uh, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, dollars are the are most uh, trades, especially commodities, but not just commodities are traded in U.S. dollars. So if you want to buy, it doesn't matter if uh, Argentina is buying something from uh, from uh, Nigeria, you know, they'll pay, Argentina will pay uh, Nigerian oil or whatever else in dollars. So it doesn't matter if it's not uh, between uh, the United States and another country. Uh, the international trade, uh, for the most part, uh, and still is that way, uh, majority of that trade is, is priced in dollars. So... Um, it, it, it was going very well for a given number of decades, and now it is going less well. Why, why is that? It's going less well because there's a, a, a structural bug hiding, you know, in this, uh, in this kind of clever arrangement. And the structural bug uh, is that mm, if everybody in the world pretty much has to buy things in dollars, that means that the United States, one way or another, has to provide dollars to the whole world. Otherwise, you know, commerce would not be possible. And the way the United States historically has provided dollars to the whole world is uh, historically meaning in the last 50 years uh, is has been uh, by uh, importing much more than they can export. They need to do that. They need to import a lot because by importing uh, goods and services from other countries, they provide the other countries with dollars. So they buy from other countries uh, goods and services, they import them, and they export dollars effectively. And that's, you know, the way that the petrodollar system has uh, has uh, has been set up and, and, and it has worked so far. And it's not just because it's a petrodollar system. Uh, that that problem is a problem that any currency issued by a single dominant country would have. That single dominant country, in this case in the U.S., but in any other situation, uh, other countries would uh, experience the same problem that uh, it, by importing more and more and exporting less and less in terms of good, uh, they get into huge deficits, trade deficits, which also tend to become uh national uh, public deficits 
So we are at a point where the deficits of the United States, which are structural in this case, because they had to get into debt in order to provide dollars with the world to the world, uh, the deficits have become so big uh, that uh, it's 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 uh, you know I think uh, central banks in other countries uh, and and investors are becoming to not to lose faith because you know the, the world still has faith in the dollar, but that's exactly what we're talking about. It's 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 faith that the U.S. will be able to uh, keep up the system, and that faith is starting to to erode. It's starting to erode because uh, that debt uh, is becoming more and more unsustainable. So the fear and the concern is that sooner or later that whole uh, castle of cards is going to collapse because the United States will not be able to make good to to its debt. And hey. So, so the the gold standard doesn't mean that you you would go to a store and buy a, a ring or 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 something. You can still do that. The gold standard meant that if everyone wanted gold, uh, replacing their banknotes with gold, they were supposedly able to do that. And whether that was actually ever true or not in terms of the uh, correct accounting of reserves uh, and if there were a universal request for gold in 1960 would that be uh, possible uh, today uh, what we what we have is uh, uh, the issuing of debt by the nation states and especially the us what we are now concentrating on and it is this debt that is redeemable uh, you can you can sell back the debt that you bought uh, to the issuer, uh, and uh, in exchange get something of value. And this something of value uh, is is a dollar itself, because you would be buying uh, treasury bonds, and then you would be selling the treasury bonds and getting dollars in exchange, and then you would buy something with those dollars. But uh, if you don't find the buyer because the largest uh, economy of the world um, uh, stops uh, buying because they bought everything they could to the point where they are choking on on so much they they, they bought and consumed and overconsumed and overbought the balance of trade is 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 imbalanced then you know that uh, the the debt is not going to be redeemable uh, anymore um so the Petro part of the petrodollar, because as you said, this this could be um, something that we analyze across any number of commodities, and and I don't know whether uh, you know grain or corn or cotton or or uh, you know metals or other things are, are are still universally or or predominantly traded in in dollars, but we we don't talk about corn dollar we don't talk about uh, uh, grain dollar we talk about petrodollar so the, the the oil trade is at the basis given that it has been in the 20th uh, century uh, the primary um, uh, propulsive force in our ability to uh, expand uh, the economy uh, that is that is why we are concentrating on that 
and 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 oil of course is is not only for for uh, filling up our cars with gas uh, oil is for heating oil is for the industries very importantly oil is also for producing synthetic fertilizers uh, which are then used to increase the uh, productivity of agricultural lands and that led to our ability to feed uh, an exploding population during the 20th uh, century without uh, famines that wouldn't be caused by civil war or corruption or or or, or logistics uh, breakdown, rather than the lack of available calories. We have enough calories for for feeding everyone. So, is the petrodollar fading just structurally? or also the petrol part is feeling some uh, pressure? I think the petrol part, you know, the other side of the, of the coin, which is the oil part, the petrol part uh, of the coin is also um, feeling some pressure. And the pressure meaning, you know, it's, 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 it's becoming uh, less central, let's say, to uh, the economy of the world. Of course, it is still... Uh, very central, but less so, a fair bit less than in the past. And it's becoming less and will become less and less central uh, to the economy of the world because of uh, a, the, you know, a process of uh, decarbonization that uh, more or less every country and every business, uh, especially large ones, but increasingly small ones as well, have embarked upon. So we have decided collectively that uh, fossil fuels have uh, caused, uh, that helped us in many different ways. They are at the base of our economic development, but that economic development has come at the price of uh, very uh, wide uh, damage uh, to the environment and to climate especially, and health as well. And so we have decided collectively uh, that we need to uh, go through a transition, an energy transition, where we go from an oil-based, an oil and gas-based economy to something else, which is an economy based mainly on uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency, uh, because we cannot afford anymore to, uh, to keep uh, producing bad outcomes with the good outcomes. You know, we have to try and... Uh, uh, maintain some kind of uh, uh, level of, uh, uh, of of development, which can be still uh, incredibly high, frankly, without all the drawbacks that uh, oil uh, and the, the horrible effects that oil has caused so far. So, and oil demand has decreased uh, because of the pandemic. Um, all major uh, energy institutions like the International Energy Agency and national energy agencies are forecasting uh, a decrease in demand for, uh, for oil as uh, other types of uh, energy sources become more prevalent, like solar, like wind, uh, like hydrogen uh, going forward. So um, at this point, I think we can... Uh, th there will be spikes in demand for oil, that's for sure, in the next uh, number of years. But uh, I think oil has uh, started uh, a secular decline, basically, in and, terms of demand. I, 
I, I agree with you, except in the cause and effect. Uh, we waited uh, as long as we could and probably longer than we should have been before deciding to do what we are doing now, uh, where through policy, incentives, uh, the adoption of renewable energies being uh, accelerated, but also uh, because they are convenient, uh, they are actually uh, solar photovoltaics, a cheaper source of, of, of energy in an increasing number of territories than any other source. We waited as long as we could. One, because we are lazy. Two, because uh, the incumbent interests um, made everything possible from political lobbying to industrial espionage to uh, killing people when they could and get away with it uh, to maintain uh, the status quo. But the very important reason why we waited is because it wouldn't have been possible to impose uh, an inferior solution. Um, so uh, whatever our aspirations were, uh, if we were uh, green-hearted uh, in the 80s, let's say, uh, and uh, we wanted uh, ecology to be the first priority uh, in, in a given social organization, we could not impose that view because the, uh, the, the, the cost of, of, of going solar and the uh, inefficiency of going solar uh, would have impeded it, even if we wanted to. So there is an um, amazing uh, interconnected uh, nature in, in this where uh, the secular fading, as you said, of, of, of oil uh, is uh, simultaneously supplemented by the availability of a superior solution and then the, the policy and incentive structures uh, are um, boosting uh, the, the, the speed of this uh, transition uh, even more. Uh, so let's talk about uh, uh, solar just, uh, just a bit, solar photovoltaics, uh, before going into Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. So go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's the other. Uh, we wouldn't have done it collectively uh, if uh, renewable energy uh, was not cheaper. So renewable energy at this point is more convenient. It's cheaper than uh, than than oil than fossil fuels. That's true in many parts of the world, and that's why, apart from uh, all the you know all the environmental aspects, that's why the renewable energy is on the rise and fossil fuels are declining. Uh, that's absolutely at the core of uh, of this dynamic. We wouldn't have, you know, gone for solar and wind if solar and wind were uh, much more expensive than uh, than fossil fuels. Not only they're not uh, much more expensive, but they are cheaper. At this point, it's much cheaper to run uh, a sun, a solar uh, plant than uh, a coal plant. So there is no question that it makes sense economically. And it makes sense environmentally, and that's why this is happening now. There's a, uh, you know, that those two uh, types of incentives are pairing up and are intersecting to create uh, a, a different, uh, you know, the conditions for a different environment. Uh, 
economic environment as well. And and um, I, I I was part of the group that uh, that designed the Singularity University uh, twelve uh, years ago, uh, where we uh, eat uh, exponentials for breakfast. Uh, and uh, and uh, those of us who follow uh, those of those of our viewers who follow me uh, know that I, I talk about exponentials or even super exponentials uh, sometimes all the time. And and uh, the chart that we see here is a total beautiful exponential uh, in uh, the installed uh, solar energy uh, capacity uh, worldwide. Uh, that uh, uh, goes and, and grows inter imperceptibly, even though it is exponential even then, mm -hmm. and, and it is now really exploding um, yeah. with, uh, uh, with uh, large uh, quantities. Uh, we are talking about five, 600 gigawatt uh, uh, of uh, power uh, generation capacity installed uh, worldwide. Uh, and uh, it is uh, starting to uh, be relevant to the point that uh, the um, electric grid needs to adapt and take into account this different source that uh, uh, has a, a very different nature to it. So let's stop there and, and talk about Bitcoin mining, uh, what it is, and then connect the two solar energy, the nature of the new grid that will be defined by ubiquitous solar energy generation and Bitcoin mining in the future. So what is what is Bitcoin mining and and uh, and uh, uh, why are people told over and over again that uh, Bitcoin is wasteful, that mining is horrible, that Bitcoin should be shut down just because, uh, you know, the lights on Times Square. Yes, those are wonderful and, and extremely useful to the economy. But Bitcoin mining is something that we should never do. Mm -hmm. Yes, Bitcoin mining is at the core of uh, of the whole system, of course, and that's uh, the way that uh, you know people that call themselves miners and that use uh, devices that themselves are called miners, that's uh, the, the process they use to uh, basically create uh, a new block in the blockchain. And in that block, there will be a whole bunch of transactions uh, chiseled into it, so to speak. And um, they need to use energy uh, because that's uh, um, a, a tangible way, let's say, to demonstrate that uh, that uh, Whatever is included in that in that block, those transactions um, have uh, have a value basically, uh, and that uh, those transactions are valid, and uh, that uh, um, the Bitcoin that uh, is created through the the validation and the creation of that block is 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 worth something because there has been energy spent to to create it and the energy is necessary we need to uh, consume energy in order to uh to make sure that nobody else can go in there and change those blocks and change those transactions and reverse those transactions once they've so, been created so, 
so basically the, the the value of the immutability of the bitcoin blockchain the list of past transactions as well as the value of uh, the solution to the double spend problem the fact that an electronic transaction that i make to you uh, uh cannot be fraudulently made to another person at the same time that the uh balance of the various wallets is always um coherent and consistent this value is measurable and people are ready to pay for this feature to be available on a global basis and if the network itself increases in value then the value of this feature also must go up the way that this feature is delivered on the network is through this process that uh, unfortunately we call uh, mining and the reason why it is unfortunate is because uh, first of all the profit of bitcoin satoshi nakamoto did not refer to mining uh, uh, as this uh, process so uh, it is uh, apocryphal it is, hasn't been blessed in his uh, white paper uh, but also because uh, mining as a metaphor uh, brings uh, with itself a lot of uh, negative connotations uh, people look at it as an egotistical greedy activity uh, that is why a few years ago uh, i actually proposed uh, um, in an article i wrote for bitcoin uh, magazine uh, an alternative where i say shouldn't we instead be using weaving which is a communal activity uh, the, the threads of the transactions are uh, strengthening uh, the, the, the tapestry uh, of the network and uh, uh, the applications on top of the Bitcoin are the emerging patterns uh, of this uh, beautiful uh, uh, abstract uh, mathematical uh, piece of uh, textile. Uh, and, uh, and it was uh, very appreciated and, and, and obviously completely ignored. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant idea, frankly. I like it a lot. I think it, it expresses, it really helps visualize what it is that is happening. It's, it's just uh, stitch by stitch, uh, making something wider and stronger communally. Uh, it's, it's Bitcoin, in this case, is not an egotistical endeavor. It's a, an incredibly communal endeavor where everybody participates. And um, the other so, thing that so in conclusion, yeah. or, or or rather, yeah. at this point, we can we can uh, easily understand that the energy expended in strengthening the Bitcoin uh, network is not a bug; it's a feature. It is not undesirable. It is desirable. Um, so, so so we shouldn't complain about it, except that of course, in traditional ways, uh, the Bitcoin uh, uh, weaving or mining activity creates uh, uh, undesirable CO two emissions. Yes. So, uh, if I may just quickly, uh, just to go back to once, uh, one thing you said, you know, why um, some people think that it's bad to spend all this energy uh, with, uh, with, uh, in mining or, you know, in weaving. Um, they, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, they make a comparison with, uh, with just uh, regular, you know, financial transactions like spending money with a credit card without realizing that uh, Bitcoin is not just a payment network, but it's a whole settlement network. Uh, it's something that, you know, uh, allows you basically to 
settle and uh, clear and define uh, f- uh, with you know with uh, with final certainty a transaction, whereas most other transactions in the fiat economy uh, are not really final. They're not settled. I mean, you don't you know people don't see what happens uh, under the hood. You know, they don't understand exactly how their plumbing works. But uh, a credit card transactions in nowhere near the same thing as as a as a Bitcoin transaction. There's no finality in that. Uh, credit card transaction. It has to go through a whole other system where a lot of energies is, uh, is spent in terms of uh, the network, in terms of the central banks involved, in terms of all the people working for banks, in terms of uh, the security infrastructure that goes into, into protecting banks, in terms of the military that goes into protecting uh, the infrastructure, uh, financial infrastructure. So, it's really comparing apples to oranges. Whereas with Bitcoin, you know, you do have that energy expenditure, but once you've spent it, that's it. That's, you know, that's uh, your, your transaction is final, your money is real. So since uh, solar photovoltaic is mm-hmm. the most uh, uh, convenient source of energy in an increasing uh, set of regions and uh, Bitcoin mining uh, facilities are driven by the profit motive and energy is one of their largest um, components uh, in, in, in their cost structure. They are very strongly incentivized in finding uh, the, the, the cheapest energy available anywhere, which is solar. And it is becoming solar. And then there are many other components uh, in this, of course, uh, which is, for example, the uh, the, the fact that uh, uh, solar energy, together with batteries, uh, constitutes a completely new kind of uh, of inf- infrastructure. Uh, tell us about uh, your thinking of one uh, where this uh, grid is going, uh, also in terms of uh, uh, the price of energy, and why adding Bitcoin mining to the grid both um, stabilizes the grid as well as represents potential and important new uh, source for for, uh, services provided, value for services provided to the grid uh, operators. Mm Yes, I think the the whole whole, um, idea, I guess, started by uh, recognizing that uh, both Bitcoin and renewable energy are very similar in the sense that uh, they're based on distributed systems. You know, renewable energy by de- is by definition distributed. You have traditionally, uh, I mean, wind and so the wind and sun are available pretty much anywhere. You don't need uh, centralized institutions to start uh, gathering and uh, harnessing that kind of energy. So uh, historically, renewable energy has been decentralized and uh, has been decentralized uh, in a similar way as Bitcoin has uh, has been decentralized. So they both have this, at, at their core, this very similar uh, feature of being decentralized. Now, with, uh, with, uh, with renewable energy, uh, the decentralization the, the is kind of a, a totally different uh, uh, system. It kind of... Uh, turns the traditional energy system on its head. The traditional energy system has uh, a few uh, large, major uh, uh, energy-producing plants, power plants, 
and uh, from this energy producer plants, uh, energy is uh, channeled to you know to uh, homes or businesses, and that's a one-way street basically, where the energy goes only from from the energy plant to to your home. With renewable energy, uh, that's kind of turned on its head in the sense that instead of having uh, let's say one uh, major energy plant providing uh, a one-way street uh, energy channel to homes, you have a whole bunch of uh, smaller energy plants that can be installed on your roof as in, as in the shape of a solar plant. And you have many producers and many uh, consumers all uh, um, channeling their own small, small amounts of energy into the grid. So uh, the grid uh, with renewable energy uh, becoming more and more um, widespread the grid needs to change in the sense that you know it needs to go from being uh, a one-way road you know uh, where energy was channeled from the power plant to the home it needs to become uh, like a, a two-way super highway more or less where you have a lot of people both producing and and consuming and the, traditionally the grid has not been set up and structured for that and so um it's having problems right now to accommodate all these different small little tiny producers putting their energy into the grid. And um, because the grid needs to always be balanced, uh, uh, we need to find ways to accommodate all these different little streams of energy getting into the grid. Now, one way of doing that, of, doing that, uh, of course, is storage. Uh, traditionally, there has been some large storage plants where you could storage the excess energy. And uh, those storage systems have been based on a hydroelectric system. Basically, you, you would store the energy in the form of, of water in an artificial lake or something like that. And, uh, and uh, you, know, you would use the energy uh, produced during the day where you didn't need it to pump the energy, pump the water up upstream and uh, at, at, at uh, at night, when everybody you know goes back home and turns their TVs on and their uh, and starts uh, you know uh, turning on the lights on at home, that that water would just be let uh, flow down, and uh, in that way, uh, it was used as store energy because the water flowing down would just uh, power turbines that would uh, generate energy. So that was the only way we had to store energy. But it, it was you know it was um, again uh, large central systems that. Uh, uh, didn't work in, in a very flexible kind of way. With all these small, tiny producers uh, or medium-sized producers, we need the, the grid to become much more flexible. And uh, that means that the grid needs to be able to, uh, uh, to regulate, to fine-tune the flow of energy in a much more granular, uh, 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 precise way. And uh, the way that that's done uh, that can be done. It's already done that way, is by uh, asking some some people, some companies, to either consume the excess energy when there is too much, or to stop consuming energy when there is too little, so that uh, the grid is always uh, balanced, and uh, nobody ideally uh, uh, is left without uh, without energy. Now. The, 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 the way that uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining comes into the picture is that uh, Bitcoin mining can be an ideal partner, basically, for this kind of uh, 
demand response. That's that's how it's called. Uh, it can be an ideal partner to provide uh, flexibility services to the grid. So the grid needs to be flexible. It's hard for the grid to be flexible on its own. It needs partners to do that. And uh, Bitcoin mining is is an ideal partner because uh, unlike uh, manufacturing centers, for instance, can uh, uh, ramp up its power or turn it down or even turn it off at a moment's notice for exactly the amount of time that is needed, uh, for exactly the amount of power that is needed to, to increase or to decrease. Uh, the same thing cannot be said uh, for, as I say, as I was saying, you know, like um, larger manufacturing plants or uh, or other, uh, you know, um, types of businesses that consume a lot of energy uh, as, uh, for instance, uh, data centers. You know, you cannot ask a data center providing services to you and I doing this uh, this live stream now. Uh, you can't ask them to just turn itself off for two hours, you know, because that wouldn't work. Whereas and, with and, and, and actually, uh, the optimization of uh, what to do with uh, the processing uh, is one of the major decisions of any Bitcoin mining uh, uh, network. The relatively sophisticated software working in mining pools uh, where um, each uh, miner is constantly upgrading the hardware, something is malfunctioning, uh, there is an internet connectivity problem, are uh, uh, each working for their own interest, but then collaborate uh, relatively unwillingly, but it is their, their interest to collaborate um, uh, to, to make uh, the network as resilient and as efficient uh, as, as possible. And, and so since it is driven by the profit motive, it can be the case that uh, um, in an increasing interval, uh, in an increasing number of intervals, uh, energy prices become negative. And in that case, uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, miners, uh, rather than paying for electricity, they would be paid uh, to take uh, uh, electricity. And, and then they will be ramping up uh, uh, every possible spare capacity to calculate. Or in other cases, uh, where the grid demands a lot of uh, power, uh, they would be able to to be paid because they are uh, actually consuming consuming less. Um, so uh, we um, uh, have been having uh, this this wonderful conversation now for for more than an hour, and we could keep going uh, for a lot more because, as we said at the beginning, we are in the rabbit hole and and. Uh, there's a lot uh, to to explore. Um, I uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that you are uh, familiar with uh, Tony Seba uh, and his uh, uh, work on uh, the analysis of the future of energy systems and his uh, various uh, reports. I greatly recommend for our viewers uh, rethinkx.com, uh, his website where uh, all his uh, work is available for free apply to energy, food, transportation. Uh, and uh, recently he released for free uh, this uh, wonderful uh, Rethink, uh, Rethinking Humanity uh, book, um, really high quality work. 
And, and there, there is a, a very interesting uh, component that I would like to, to offer a little bit uh, uh, as, a, as, as one of the, the possible conclusions. Uh, a lot of people, when they talk about uh, the economy, which is itself an expression of human uh, uh, knowledge and human aspirations, they look at it as a, a finite, closed system. Um, when we talk about, for example, um, uh, technolo technological unemployment, oh my God, the robots are going to take our jobs. Well, only if we want it, only if we will be sitting down and doing nothing. But if our imagination and our uh, ability to set new goals is going to require these new goals to be uh, achieved with human uh, uh, contributions, uh, then no, we will be able to, to strive for uh, something. And similarly, uh, in the world of energy, there is this fallacy that uh, we are looking at a closed, uh, finite system. And uh, uh, Tony Saba's analysis, uh, where he says, we can um, already in 10 years transform uh, our current energy system in a completely 100% renewable solar wind and battery system. Uh, and by the way, it is just $2 trillion for the US to achieve that, but with 20% additional investment, we would be able to achieve over 300% more energy availability in 10 years, just 20% more to be invested in energy generation, energy distribution, and energy storage, and we would have 300% more uh, availability. And, and that is, to me, is, is incredibly inspiring because we went from energy poverty over thousands of years to energy abundance in the 20th uh, century. And in the 21st century, we are going to see energy superabundance. And the main reason why uh, we escaped the mere survival level subsistence uh, existence of all the generations that preceded us is exactly because of the abundance of energy, uh, abundance of energy that we were able to uh, to use. So, the the exercise that I would like our viewers to to uh, um, go home with, as we as we end the, our conversation, is imagine what civilization will look like when, rather than whatever is the average. Uh, power or energy available in a household in your region, let's say one kilowatt or 10 kilowatt, whatever it is, imagine to treble that or to quintuple that or to increase it tenfold. What kind of life can you imagine? What are the things that you would be doing uh, and, uh, and both in your private life as well as in industry? In, uh, in, in the services, in everything, including space exploration, 
uh, that that we do. Uh, so, Lorenzo, uh, what what are your final remarks uh, as we look at the next fifty years of uh, energy and uh, and Bitcoin? I think uh, there can be, as you were saying, an abundant future. Um, I think uh, the the trick or the difficult thing, rather, will be uh, how to uh, how how we make the transition between now and uh, and then, which could be the next you know number of decades, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever that might be. I don't know. Um, um, I think from a technical point of view, um, we have advanced a lot. We need still to do uh, some progress in some hard to decarbonize sectors, like, you know, the sectors that use uh, uh, a ton of energy, a a very, you know, dense energy, like uh, metallurgy, manufacturing, that kind of stuff. Uh, But hydrogen is a very promising um, substitute for a lot of fossil fuel in that department. And we're not that far from being able to to use fossil fuels for those hard to decarbonize, to be able to use hydrogen, I'm sorry, for those hard to decarbonize uh, sectors. So uh, we're going to get there. Oftentimes, just uh, regulations and policies that uh, separate us from... uh, from being able to implement the solution. So the, the regulatory aspects will be uh, crucial. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people will have problems making that transition because their lives depend on on the old paradigm, on the old uh, system. So we have to make sure that um, uh, this transition is, is fair and equal because- uh, Well, uh, 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 especially because many of those people who have an interest in maintaining humanity on the old uh, uh, system have guns and yes. they are not afraid of, of, of using their guns yes. Uh, yes. in order to, to keep us yeah. there. I think that future is absolutely doable, is within our reach. Uh, we have to you know, make sure that uh, uh, we provide solutions to the people that uh, would uh, suffer the most from, from that transition. Uh, which who are the poorest people, of course, as usual. And um, when the economics and the incentives are aligned, which I think they're more and more aligned, it'll become a, a, a self, not a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy, but something that will sell itself for the most part. Uh, uh, Lorenzo, uh, uh, this was uh, really wonderful. And uh, uh, I greatly enjoyed it. We uh, touched just the surface of so many yes. other things uh, that we could discuss, like why the fact that Bitcoin is a deflationary uh, solution is actually a positive in terms of building further resilience and sustainability in the global financial system and, many, be, many, yeah. other, and many other things. So. Um, uh, thank you again for having uh, written the wonderful uh, article that uh, that our viewers uh, can uh, find on on your Medium uh, page. Uh, they should also follow your your Twitter, uh, uh, where you will be tweeting about solar and uh, and Bitcoin in uh, many interesting ways uh, uh, as well. And um, I will be happy to to have you back. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if everything goes well, you will be back uh, in an Italian uh, show uh, uh, unless uh, your travel interferes. But I'm looking forward uh, to have your confirmation uh, in a week or two for that show uh, to be held uh, in April. Uh, 
And in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you, David, for inviting me. It was a real pleasure uh, talking with you. And uh, we just, as you said, scratched the surface. There's a lot more to talk about, and hopefully we'll be able to do that in the near future. So thanks very much again. So uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, watching Searching for the Question live. Uh, I have been uh, in the world of uh, uh, Bitcoin for 10 years. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I um, uh, put uh, my first tweet uh, about uh, Bitcoin uh, from 2011 uh, for sale uh, today. Um, I said, Bitcoin P2P virtual currency. I wish you good luck and good fortune against the ire of nation states everywhere. Bitcoin.org, April 20, 2011. So uh, why am I selling uh, a tweet and what does it even mean uh, to sell a tweet? Well, we don't have the time for that. Uh, but if you go uh, to uh, davidorban.com uh, slash NFT, uh, you can actually uh, bid for that uh, tweet and uh, NFT uh, stands for non-fungible token. Basically, you will be buying an autographed, uh, a digitally autographed version of this tweet uh, that you can be proud of, that you can then resell to someone in another 10 years. Maybe it will be worth a 10 or a thousand times uh, what you paid for it. Uh, it is almost guaranteed that would be the case in fiat money, right? Because of inflation. And we will see uh, in, in Ethereum or, or Bitcoin. Possibly uh, we will have a, a, another conversation uh, about non-fungible tokens and why they are uh, so uh, popular uh, these days uh, in one of the um, future uh, uh, episodes of uh, searching for the question live. I would like to uh, thank you, uh, everyone, for having uh, uh, followed the show uh, and uh, please uh, support it on Patreon, uh, going on patreon.com slash David Orban. And uh, I will be um, looking forward to, to seeing you uh, in uh, the next episode of uh, Searching for the Question Live.